This is You, Me, and an Album, Episode 6. I'm Al Melchior. You know, even the first tune, like, uh, I don't even know where one is until the second or third time I'm hearing it. It's like, oh, it's... So this, every backbeat's like not on two and four most of the time. So I love that stuff, kind of tickles it rhythmically. Um, I like the, the seriousness of the, the, the text. I mean, I don't want to get all spinal tap about it, but it's, it's nice to hear some nutritious, nutritiously enjoyable pop music that's not just corn syrup. That was John Ferrari talking about David Sylvian's 1984 album, Brilliant Trees. John is a percussionist and drummer whose work has ranged from symphonic and chamber music to Broadway to rock and jazz, as well as playing on film scores. John is a member of Meridian Arts Ensemble, New Millennium Ensemble, and the Tilted Axes Project. And he also teaches drums and percussion at several educational institutions, including the Manhattan School of Music and Princeton University. And while this is getting to be a pretty long intro already, uh, I would be remiss to not also mention that John and I have been friends since the seventh grade. So, John, <laughs> this is not the usual format that we have for our chats, but I am absolutely thrilled to have you here on You, Me, and an Album. So thanks for coming on. It's so cool to do this, Al. I really love this idea you have for the podcast. So it was like, wow, let's do it. Cool. <laughs> Excellent. Well, I'm glad to have you on here. And uh, you gave some thought to the album and you chose Brilliant Trees by David Sylvian. And so we'll, you know, obviously be talking about that for the bulk of this podcast. And you yeah. know, I'll ask you the usual questions about why you chose that album and which tracks you like. And I'll react and you'll react to my reactions and all that. Um, but we absolutely have to talk about, um, you know, us going way back. And on the first episode, and I think maybe also in the trailer, I talked about how one of the inspirations for this podcast was recreating the kinds of conversations that you and I, and also, you know, some of our other friends as well. Um, now you, you were two houses, literally two houses down the street from That's me. Right. So it was really easy to just hop over and, uh, in your room, you had a stereo and you had your drum set, which was pretty cool. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> pretty cool. The 12, 12 year old me, uh, you know, who had to go down to the basement uh, to use the stereo and, right? and have a drum set. Mm. So yeah, we'd go in there, you'd practice to the Beatles. Uh, there was always Beatles. Um, a lot of Steely Dan that I remember. Yeah. One of the things, John, that always stuck out to me, I don't know why this album in particular, but drama by yes. I just remember that album and, and remember you and I sitting there and I think we listened to it for the first time together, maybe. Yeah. You know, that, the the whole thing about getting into Yes, it was like Yes was a big deal for us, but we were still a little bit young to have been hip to the earlier stuff, which was totally great. So when the new stuff was coming out, uh, that one in particular, we were just like 15 or something. So it was like our Yes album. Same thing with like the, the later Zeppelin album. Yep. Um, into the Outdoor, like everybody that had older brothers and sisters, we all, they had Stairway to Heaven and all that Zoso stuff and... We all loved it, but we were just a little too young to have been like buying those albums like uh, when they were coming out. But when when uh, Into the Outdoor came out, we were like, "All right, Led Zeppelin's new album, it's yeah. ours. We can be fans now. We could buy tickets so well." God rest rest in peace. Uh, <laughs> yeah, John yeah, that, that, that yeah did not work out obviously. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, yeah, you're right to bring that album up because. My memory's not, yeah, around the same period when 
we were hanging out and you were introducing me to a lot of music. And at that point, I was still thinking it leads up and oh, that's that's metal. That's hard rock. I don't think I like it. And of course, I yeah, I really didn't know much beyond like Stairway yeah. to Heaven. But yeah, that album came out and it's like, oh, Led Zeppelin's good. I like this. Yeah. And that was the, the gateway <clears throat> to all the other stuff. I mean, in my household, it was a little bit naughty to like Led Zeppelin because most of what was happening in our house was like John Denver and some Eagles and Dan Fogelberg, things like that. So to like Led Zeppelin was a little naughty. <laughs> yeah, no, I remember. <laughs> it was very, very much the same. So uh, that yeah that that album was was huge for me too and apparently for you as well. Oh yeah. So uh, but as I mentioned, always lots of Beatles. You were and always have been the biggest Beatles fan that I've known in my life. Yeah, it's cliche to say, but they're they're my favorite pop group. You know, it's yeah. I'm not alone. <laughs> you're, you got a lot of company, and like I said, you're you kind of have always gone. The, uh, an extra step uh, compared to other people I know who really yeah. like the Beatles. And so you had a really cool, uh, uh, a really cool occasion to meet uh, Paul McCartney. So oh, remind wow. me, how, do, how did that come about? Well, it's sort of as a New York area freelancer, sometimes you get these gigs that just sort of are uh, nice little certain levels of profile of gig. So I think it was in 2004, a colleague of mine was contracting the situation for a composer named Carter Burwell. He's a film composer, pretty famous for his work with the Coen brothers and uh, <clears throat> Charlie Kaufman and whatnot. So they, those three people got together and did some like uh, stage play um, drama stuff. So it was going to be like live incidental music to these stage plays, kind of like an old-time radio. Uh, the name of the project was Theater... Of the new ear, we did a couple of gigs in Brooklyn, then another thing at I think it was UCLA a few months later. Then we went to London and played one night at uh, the Royal Festival Hall in London. So, <clears throat> sorry, five to eight, I'm doing what the usual uh, per what percussionists do. We have to get compulsively ready, make sure our timpani are in tune, all the sticks and mallets have to be where we can reach them. So I'm doing that, and then I go backstage to get ready to go on. And there was Paul McCartney talking to Carter Burwell. I was like, whoa, hello. And he knows how Star Trek, starstruck people can get. So uh, he, he likes to make people comfortable. And that was cool. He was there at intermission. He was there after the show. Got to chat with him just a little bit. And um, yeah, that was exciting. One of the perks of kind of like just, I don't know, the lucky, the lucky thing of having a, a cool freelance gig, which sometimes pops up in New York, you know? Yeah, that's amazing. And I remember, you know, you taught me about it. And I just, I, I was so happy for you because of all the, the people that you could have met. I mean, this is, had to be number one. And that was amazing. And yeah. I know you've, you've worked with, uh, you know, a lot of really great musicians. And um, I also remember you, and again, I'm, I'm not remembering the details very well. So I'm gonna have to have you fill it in. But I, I know you, you, you met Frank Zappa. And I think, did, did you also do some work with him? No, they're not with him, but this was the, the occasion to meet him was sort of a kind of gut-wrenching thing. It was actually just a few weeks before he passed. Um, I was It was early in my tenure with the Meridian Arts Ensemble, and um, before I joined the band, their, their fearless leader, John Nelson, had been doing a lot of arranging of Frank Zappa's pieces. Um, at some point, he got in touch with Frank Zappa, who got in touch with him, having heard some tapes. So they chatted, and, and um, I think he got basically got Frank Zappa's blessing to arrange any of his music that 
he would like to do. So we were doing some of that stuff on our concerts. And the thing that Frank Zappa loved about it was that we weren't just being a tribute band. We were just including his music on programs with other composers' repertoire. So he was digging that. So I guess it was one of my first tours with the group. We were in L.A. area. And um, he was already sick. I think John had been in touch with Gail, his his wife, and um, she said, "Yeah, come on over." So we all got, literally gathered around his deathbed. Man, it was it was weird. But wow. um, the quintet, the brass uh, guys, they they played. I didn't play; it would have been too loud. But um, he was literally on his deathbed with a morphine drip, and they gathered around the bed. They played a couple of his tunes. I think they did a Kidna's Arf and uh, Peaches and Regalia, something like that. So it was kind of gut-wrenching. And then, um, you know, three weeks later, he was gone. What a, what a legacy he left, you know. But, yeah, that was the occasion. Just just meet him. Um, I guess a year later, we were in the area again, and uh, Dweezil had us over and just do some overdubs on, like, a little project he was doing. I don't think it's going to see the light of day, but it was just some stuff he was doing in the lab. About a year later, we did some brass quintet and marimba stuff. But... Um, I don't think we'll hear that, but you know. Yeah, because that was <laughs> well. I'm trying to remember now when that would have been. Um, I but, think yeah, quite, he, Frank quite passed in '93, uh, right? So uh, yeah, yeah, '93 December. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Well, that's yeah, quite uh, quite a, a story, and yeah, like you said, must have just absolutely been been uh, heart wrenching. Uh, yeah. I mean, I was always. I was always, you know, aware of his importance, and I, I never really checked his, his music out as much as when I first joined that band, because then I had to learn a lot of his stuff. So that was the occasion to kind of dig deeper into it than I ha- ever had before. And um, it's a learning curve, you know. You gotta, you gotta do do the homework to, to play <laughs> that stuff, you know. But it was, it was awesome. Yeah, yeah. Well, a uh, couple of experiences there, obviously. That uh, you know, you'll you'll always remember. Um, well, let's uh, go to the album, John. As I said before, you picked Brilliant Trees by David Sylvian. And like some of the other albums that uh, have already been featured on this podcast, this is one I had heard of. I actually remember thumbing through records uh, at School Kids Records in Ann Arbor because uh, this came out when I was in yep. college. And, 84? Uh, 84, yep. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I mean, I just, the only, that's really the only thing I knew about David Sylvian was just remembering seeing this album in the stacks and uh, thumbing through and, you know, maybe just going, hmm, wonder what that's like. And then, you know, moving on and continuing to thumb. And then in doing a little bit of research, uh, learned that he was the singer and guitarist for the band Japan, which again is another uh-huh. one of those bands that I'd heard of, knew really nothing about. But Same I did go. Here. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> I didn't know them much either. I've heard of them, but you know, yeah. Have you, yeah. have you checked them out since you've now started uh, to, to get into David Sylvian? Have you gone back? Well, and- yeah. The whole deal with deciding on this album to, to be the, the one was like, because I, I so loved the premise of this podcast. I wasn't going to just pull out another, an album I had already picked over for decades, you know? So I figured, well, it's such a good idea. Let me pick an album. I don't know either. So I was, <laughs> Originally, I was going to present to you the uh, a later album of his called um, Gone to Earth, which my wife, Calliope Palios, turned me on to. Ten years ago, maybe 11 years ago, we were driving up to, I was going to do some work with the Monadnock Festival in uh, New Hampshire, and we had our little, our, Irene was a little baby, 
And she were driving up, you know, and, and she's like, oh, let me pop the CD in. It was that album, uh, Gone to Earth. And it was just amazing, amazing stuff. Robert Fripp's on there. He's a prog rock guitar hero that I think we share love for his we work. Um, so that was awesome. I was going to sort of make that be the album because I, I do dig it. <clears throat> and it was really the only album of Sylvian's I had dug into. But then I listened to it again, like a, about a month ago. I'm like, eh, might be a little dark, a little, little little too much red meat on that in terms of darkness but it's beautiful but i got calliope's advice of like what's what's a, a different album that i would want to share that's a little more sort of ecumenical in style and and, and a little easier to, to digest and she recommended <laughs> his first album so we checked it out we did our occasionally we do a little bedtime martini and i plugged in a big powerful speaker and we cranked it up and i was like wow this album's great and we're gonna do this one so it was my first listening, and I've I've dug listening to it since, you know. So that's good. I mean, that's that's yeah. pretty much the only requirement is that it's yeah. it's an album that you really dig. And yeah, I mean, you know, you could have gone with the other one. You could have gone with something you had listened to a million times. It yeah. doesn't really matter. But this, yeah, I mean, you clearly uh, felt really good about sharing this one and talking about it. So um, you know, we will do that. Uh, yeah, well, pretty much right now. <laughs> and. Uh, uh, one thing I want to say is that in our initial uh, chats about this, you I think you said something to the effect of, you know, good headphones or, or don't bother. And so, I, so often the case. Yeah, <laughs> I was thinking about that today because I listened to this album five times, some tracks, you know, give or take maybe one listen, sure. but pretty much the whole album five times. And uh, it was the, the fifth time was the, the last time uh, today driving around um, as, as listeners of this podcast know, making my daily trip to the dog park uh, that comes up a lot. Yeah, uh, so <laughs> listening to it uh, on the way to and from there and thinking, like, oh, this just this just doesn't sound right. So you're absolutely right. It's it's a completely different experience on headphones and probably the only way I'd want to listen to this album. Absolutely. This um I mean, the reason I thought you would enjoy it, it's like as like a meal that we would share. Like, I didn't want to just bring you to like another a, a restaurant I'd been to. I was like, let's check out this restaurant together the first time, both of us. Because they, they uses they he uses a lot of like similar musical devices that like Genesis and 80s King Crimson kind of pulled off. But very different vibe with the production, more contemplative and ethereal, all that stuff. I knew you'd like it, so... I figured we'd share the album, you know? All right. Well, I, and I love that metaphor of uh, like going to a new restaurant. That's really cool. I love yeah. it. Love the thought you put into this. So, um, and, you know, my reaction to it, uh, particularly after like the second or third listen was, was not the one you apparently were expecting. <laughs> so I will okay. get to that. I, I, I'll at least foreshadow and say I, I did come around on it. Um, so uh -huh. you can kind of see what, what my journey was with it there, but, uh, we got plenty of time for me to react and talk about my impressions of it. Cool. What is it about this album? Once you did have that first listen that you thought, okay, this is an album that I really do dig enough to talk about on a podcast for like 40 or 50 minutes. Like what, if you could just sum up in like, you know, one or two phrases or I don't, you know, impressions like what, what is it about this experience of this album that, that made it rise to that level? Um, I, I think the taste he uses in all of his uh, arranging and orchestrating and, and like I was saying, some of the, the, the devices he uses that is so prevalent in like some of the more interesting stuff of Genesis and King Crimson and whatnot is, is it's exactly the stuff that tickles me. Like, you know, even the first tune, like, uh, 
I don't even know where one is until the second or third time I'm hearing it. It's like, oh, it's bat, going to bat. So this, every backbeat's like not on two and four most of the time. So I love that stuff. Kind of tickles it rhythmically. Um, I like the the seriousness of the the, the text. I mean, I don't want to get all spinal tap about it, but it's it's nice to hear some <laughs> nutritious, nutritiously enjoyable pop music that's not just corn syrup. I mean, we like, you know. Um, so I like the depth in there, and um, every tune has a different vibe. It's a very cool arc to the album. It really is an album. It's not just a collection of tunes, and, and they unfold kind of like a meal, like like albums should or used to a lot, right? Yeah, that's true. Well, and this does go back to 84, so it was more yeah, yeah in, in tune with what albums were like back then. Uh, and I, yeah, I hear what you're saying about the album. I, I did, especially after a few listens, have a similar impression, a similar experience with I mean, it. One other thing I was going to say about it, like at the time that it, like that it came out, 1984, I was 19, uh, 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 sort of a new to college, a college music major, totally at like probably the height of my musical snobbery for wanting to cut my teeth on stuff, sophisticated stuff and whatnot. So I didn't even know about this album uh, until recently. So I'm thinking 1984, what was I hearing back then? I was into the stuff I love that we all love, um, you know, with devotion. But the stuff that was new, I was really, at the time, that mid-80s stuff, I was very much, I loved to hate a lot of the 80s pop music. So I, I spent a lot of energy, like, resenting, like, one-hit wonder Kajagugu type stuff. Um, and meanwhile, this was actually happening, and I didn't know it. So I was like, "Wait, I, I could have been hearing that, and I, I wasn't aware of it, and now I am, and it's it's cool, you know." Well, I, I'm going to put a pin in that comment and bring it back because <laughs> okay. you you said something even more along those lines, but even more specific mm-hmm. that I had a, a, re- a reaction or response that was a little bit ironic. So uh, we'll, uh-huh. we'll come back to that okay. uh, pretty soon. But uh, before again, you know, I've got plenty of time here to talk about uh, how I heard this album but sure. which so there's just seven tracks they're all what about five six minutes yeah, long it's a, it's a short sweet album yeah yeah uh any do any stand out to you um in a good way i guess the first four would represent uh side a if it was mm-hmm. an lp and i have to say i i think all four of those are, are pretty yummy in equal ways it's almost like a gourmet meal to me you know and whatever other people think but it's like a gourmet meal it's like what do you prefer do you prefer these succulent uh sweet potatoes or do you like the cranberry sauce it's like well they're totally different so um i dug the first track right away as soon as i heard it and then the second track suddenly it's acoustic bass a six eight sort of jazz thing with brushes it was like whoa the first tune was like it's almost like a power station meets duran duran type of thing a little little funkier and interesting to my ear but like suddenly the second track just takes off totally different direction i'm hearing flugelhorn and things like this that I totally love that that kind of vibe in um, in pop music and, and serious songwriting. You know, it's nice to hear those colors. And and um, indeed, the first four I find kind of equally enjoyable for totally different reasons. Um, side two, I guess, of the last three tracks, uh, it's a little more of a commitment emotionally, and you have to really like surrender to those tunes, like in terms of vibe. Like the first four, I think. You can listen to them passively, you can let it wash over you, or you could listen deeply. 
the the second side, like the, the last three, I think if you're not listening deeply, it's kind of why bother? Yeah, and w- when I was listening to it, I did get the sense of of the two sides of the album, and so even before looking it up and seeing how it broke down, I pretty much right. guessed what was on A yeah, and where tell. the, the yeah. cut was worth B. And granted, I mean, all you got to do is add up the times too, and you know, figure right. it out that way. But <laughs> they're they're definitely yeah, you're right, very different feel on sides one and two. I like side two much better. Uh, oh, so, interesting. I'm totally yeah, surprised. We, this is, yeah, this is going to be very interesting here. <laughs> so, cool. All right, cool. So, uh, yeah, pretty much the whole side one uh, really. Yeah, really I mean, me. I love side two. I'm just saying, like, in terms, if, if I would listen recreationally, like, on a car ride, yeah, like, pop pop on side side one. Right. But side two's, you know, it's a, it's a commitment, different kind of commitment emotionally. And to I have to pay attention to that one. Yeah, and in all fairness, given that I'm listening to the album for this podcast, this or any album that I've listened to so far, I, I am not. I'm not listening to it the way I would necessarily an album that I was more familiar with. And like you said, pop it in the car. So maybe that had a little something to do with me digging into side two a little bit more. I see. So, yeah. All right. Well, uh, let me talk about some overall impressions I had of the album. Cool. I can't uh, wait to hear it because I've been listening a lot. What's I going to think of this? You know. All right, well, yeah, so here's here's the big reveal. Um, so no, I, I grew to like the album, but I was really kind of concerned because two <laughs> listens in, I it, I just couldn't get into it. And on the first one, the first listen, I just wrote, no song really grabs me. Huh, uh, got, it, it, it just, I just really had trouble summoning up anything much to, to say. Right. Um, mm. it's, it's beautifully performed. It's beautifully produced. There's a lot of just gorgeous sounds on the album. So yeah. that was something I could appreciate right away. And you talked about that a little bit with the lead off track, Pulling Punches, uh, that there's just a lot. It's just a really cool sonic landscape. Yes. And it actually reminded me, I think you said Duran Duran and I uh, forget what else. but Power it, Station. That Power Station, right. And I can hear yeah. that. I was hearing Talking Heads. Oh, yeah. Well, with that a, kind of yeah. funky synthesizer, no those little synthesizer uh, stabs. and Yep. Um, the, the funky bass. So yeah. um, it, there were cool things like that, but it just, it, I just couldn't really find the hook. Right. Um, but also in terms of a, a first impression, now I remember, and I'm, this is the thing I was going to go back to before when you were saying, you know, it's the mid '80s, and you were something of a music snob, and and I was was too at that <laughs> time too, although without the benefit of being in, in music school. Well, sometimes it, it, it got too crazy. I'm just kind of just pop music, be <laughs> pop music, man. You know. But one of the <laughs> things that you said, not here on air, but in our texts, was something about, uh, you know, I just I just couldn't do Spandau Ballet or something like that. Or for like, example, I don't want to trash anything, but yeah, I just had my thing, cups of tea at the time. When I'm... <laughs> All right. Well, John, here's what I wrote down after the first listen. Spandau Ballet, Spandau Ballet meets level 42, question mark. Oh, well, okay. Well, what the, <laughs> really? yeah, sure. The, yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, level 42 was a cranking great, it's like a fusion jazz band, essentially, really. They were awesome. And, um. I might only know one the one Spandau Ballet too that we're t- we're referencing here, so I don't know how they connect. But um, yeah, level forty two is in there. I think I could I could hear that. Yeah, and I think if I came up with that. And look, I'm not much more familiar with Spandau Ballet. I mean, I, I know maybe right. you know two, three, maybe four songs. Right. But just <laughs> what I do know, and just of the the vibe that I've gotten from those songs, it was like 
the funkiness of level 42, but just taken way down in, in energy. I see. Oh, okay. His voice definitely, I will say, has a more compressed sort of like low tenor, high baritone-ish kind of, kind of a readiness, a resonance to it. And the one thing I could see might be tricky for folks is like you can't really sing along with a lot of these tunes like the melodies are a little bit weird compared to regular pop music whatever that is but like like the way he sings and that sort of register he has it's 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 you can't just sort of participate and be like we are the world you know you can't really (laughs) participate you have to listen or you know really know the album to participate in it but um so that, that's one thing that could be tricky for, for some folks. Now, I'm, I'm so glad you said that, John. And, and you really, <laughs> I think you, you, you found the words for what I was trying to, to say or trying to write down through these various yeah. listenings that I had of it. Because there just was, I mean, he's got, he's got a beautiful voice. It's really yeah, distinctive. Yeah. It's like, it's rich. But it, that's it. It's, you can't sing along with it. It made it hard <laughs> for me to really get interested in the lyrics. Uh, and yet, so I was very conflicted about because, like, wow, he's got a mm. really cool voice, and yet there's something about it that, like, at times it felt like too much for the music, at other times it felt like not enough. I just couldn't put right. my finger on it. Interesting. Okay. But and speaking of David Sylvian's voice, I wrote, and this was my only other uh, comment that I wrote down after the first listen. His voice sounds like uh, David Gahan of Depeche Mode, uh-huh. and also a little bit like Brian Ferry. Although when I went huh. back and I found a couple of Japan tracks to listen to just out of curiosity, he sounded much more like Brian Ferry on those tracks. <clears throat> yeah, I, I could see that. I'm not very familiar with his thing, but um, I, I'm hearing that totally. Yeah, I, it, you know? it's just kind of interesting because I had <laughs> read probably on the Wikipedia page, but somewhere that he was a real influence on the new romantic movement. And so to me, that's bands like okay. uh, Spando Ballet and Depeche Mode. Right, and right. vocally, I just think I see where he really could have been in that genre, but then musically, this just was something entirely different. Yeah. I, I think also I have to admit, I, I, um, in the height of my musical snobbery back in college, whatever, I was still so sort of beholden to the, the then veterans, I, I like new music that was coming out, but by the veteran artists, like your Steve Winwood's, mm. a lot of the newer Genesis stuff, not all of it, but um, the stuff that was, you know, Robert Plant after Zeppelin broke up, I was really into the the classic, the veteran rockers new stuff, but some of the new stuff that was new, new, I, I wasn't giving it enough of a chance and um, kind of into this podcast because I, I, I will kind of go back and check some of that stuff out that I didn't, you know? Yeah, that's what it's all yeah, about for me. Absolutely. Exactly. Uh, like I, and it, you and I had talked about the um, n- the Nirvana episode uh, a few yeah. weeks back, and that's a great example for me, and I think for you too, uh, if I recall you saying that, uh, of something that I certainly was very familiar with the songs on the radio from it, but yeah, it probably yeah. didn't give it as much attention as I should have because I, yeah, even in 1991 was still kind of stuck in that mode of, you know, what are my bands from the seventies putting out now. Yeah. Right. 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 And, and, um, <laughs> I love the Nirvana stuff, but like then I was what grad school, 26, trying to like get a career going. Just practice. I was kind of too busy to be like listening to whatever the current pop rock stuff was, uh, as much as I always promised myself I would. I remember being 15, like how can grownups just not listen to pop music, uh, rock, whatever. I always promised myself I'd be totally, interested and engaged with whatever was going to be coming out. And I, I was lying, man. I, <laughs> you gotta, you know, have the time and, and, and resources to sit around and listen recreationally all day. Right. Yep. So 
life interferes with that process. It does. But, it does. Yeah. I think it's a combination of that and just <laughs> maybe just a normal part of aging uh, that we get maybe a little calcified in our uh, our habits. Because <laughs> <Right, laughs> I, I definitely became, became that guy after swearing I wouldn't do that. Right. I mean, there's a, it's a, let's face it, pop and rock is, is still a uh, demographic phenomenon, you know? So. Yep. True. True. You have to be the audience for it. All right. Well, uh, <laughs> shall we uh, dig in track sure. by track here? Track by track. We discussed a little bit of the first one, pulling punches. Yep. I loved it right away. I, I just love the, the, how uh, sort of angular the rhythm is, but then his vocals over the top are sort of these longer phrases. And um, it just, I, I find it hooky right away, but I'm just sort of a, a, a geek if I'm being sort of thrown off by a rhythm that's actually ultimately cool when you learn how to hear it. I, I always love that stuff, you know. Um, so that's that track. Um, well, did you well, have more to say on that one? Let's go one, <laughs> one at a time. That's, yeah, yeah. So I'm sorry. Yeah. I just <laughs> – I wasn't prepared <laughs> – <laughs> to, oh, I'm sorry. Uh, to, to go all once. No, not. No, oh, you're no going to say your thing. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> well, then we'll, yeah. Uh, then we'll, go, we'll go on to the next track. So, yeah, for Pulling Punches, I wrote uh, The playing is beautiful, but the song feels dis- disjointed. And this is almost identically the comment I had for the first track of um, uh, The Chance the Rapper mixtape that Ellen oh. Adair and I reviewed on the last episode, uh, okay. which was. Yeah, you know, I really had a hard time getting into it the first couple of listens and it just felt like it didn't flow, but it's just was a kind of, uh, like you said, you couldn't even find the one for, you know, uh, a few bars in and yeah, you yeah. Know, there's, there's a lot, of, <laughs> a lot of twists and turns in this one that, that sort of threw me for the first couple of lessons. Uh, and as I already said, it has a talking heads feel, uh, and guitar effects. You, you mentioned some similarity with King Crimson. I definitely heard that maybe more in this track than the other ones because the the guitar effects sounded a lot like Adrian Blue. Oh, yeah, yeah. And then I think Mark Isham's on that, uh, playing Mm -hmm. some some very effective trumpet stuff toward the outro, if I'm not mistaken. Um, I've always loved his work, and, you know, that's always... I just love that whole sort of bag those guys got into in the... 80s that english uh or whatever the, the ethereal business i don't think he's english but um he played with a lot of english guys yeah yeah a lot i think there's trumpet on just about every track on yeah, here yeah. uh certainly most of them uh him and, yep. and john hassel um yeah. and yeah it's it's really cool and there's usually i don't actually john you tell me it sounds like it's being kind of treated or uh i don't know modified somehow in the production process uh, so it doesn't always really sound that much like a trumpet Oh yeah, I mean certainly. Our, uh, Mark Isham and um, John Hassel are doing all kinds of stuff with rack effects, rack mounted stuff, um, harmonizers, do, like making it three, four notes at a time, and all that stuff. Um, actually, the second track we're not there yet, but there's Kenny Wheeler's on that, and he's uh, a great, great jazz artist. Um, and I was like, oh, that kind of sounds like Kenny Wheeler. And then I, I looked it up, it's like, oh, it is Kenny Wheeler's. No wonder. <laughs> but uh, yeah. All kinds of rack-mounted effects these guys were playing with and coming up with cool sounds, you know? Well, you know, as long as we're talking about personnel, John, um, one thing I certainly wanted to get to, we probably would be getting it sooner to, to it sooner or later, but might as well just uh, 
ask it now, which is how you felt about this as a, as a drumming album, you as a drummer and percussionist and the drummer. And unfortunately, I, I did a bad job here. I didn't either put his name in the notes or pull up the, the Wikipedia page. So I'm hoping you're prepared. Uh, oh. But the, it's the same drummer um, from Japan. Yes, apparently they are brothers. Um, you know, I uh, forget the guy's name. I, uh, Steve Jansen. Thank you. Thank Steve you. Steve Jansen is his brother. They don't share a last name unless it's a, you know, step parent or a stage name of David Silverman. And whatever, actually didn't, didn't know that. I don't know. But it's according to the Wikipedia thing, it must be true, right? So, no, he's fantastic. I mean, I guess uh, supposedly he's a, he's a busy, crazy busy session guy. And I think all the parts he came up with uh, are tremendously amazing and serve the tunes here. It's like totally interesting great solid popping interesting drumming on the whole album absolutely yeah it's, it's one of my favorite yeah. things about the album almost right away it's oh, yeah. something that i could could pick out so absolutely uh, yeah absolutely. so you know pulling punches i did get to like it better i found the flow after a few listens but it definitely was not a standout track to me it was just something that like i said it had a lot of beautiful sounds to it but yeah i don't know it just it sounded like a <laughs> lot of other bands and i Probably just rather listen to those bands. I see, <laughs> I'm not, right, I'm not right. trying to demean it. I mean, it's it's fine. Oh, it's just, it didn't stand out. Don't, to me. No worries. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, all right, Ink in the Well. What what you got? Yeah. Second track. Well, like after the first tune, it's it's just such a different vibe. It goes into this slow, lugubrious, like six eight jazz thing with acoustic bass and brushes. Um modal sort of jazz thing and then kenny wheeler starts blowing flugelhorn later on i i just i find it really a, a beautiful track it's just like great release after the first one you know yeah that's true yeah great sequencing here uh really you know punchy uh pun not intended with the track called right. punches but yeah just a punchy <laughs> punchy track uh yep. yeah followed by um, this like acoustic really chill really mellow uh track and so I wrote very smooth, more beautiful playing and production. I'm wondering if I have an aversion to smooth because this was the track <laughs> I had the hardest time getting into. And I, I put a note to myself, John. And so I don't know if this is a band you're familiar with. It's one I only became familiar with over the last maybe four or five months. But I wrote, what makes this different from Krungbin? I, I think don't know the them, band. I'm sorry, man. I'm, nah, it's I, yeah. Maybe I should <laughs> give sorry. you a heads up. I'm, I probably could think. Of, you could probably think of a band. Maybe that's you know that's just known for being really smooth. Uh well, I mean, I just you know that I'm I'm fond of that kind of ECM, lots of reverb, kind of some of the jazz that 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 record company was putting out a lot. I, I dig, I, I dig that, um, and uh, what, what can I say? I like the I like that sort of uh, blanket of sound vibe, you know, with that kind of stuff. And yeah, I I dig it. Yeah, <laughs> you know, I as I wrote that and then thought about it, I, I really intended more as if it's a critique, a critique of my my uh, listening more than his playing or their playing. Um, because, and I've said this on previous episodes, where there's certain kinds of music that I that I gravitate towards, and it's comfortable. You know, it's like like a comfy right. blanket. <clears throat> and you would think that something like this, that's really it's it's gorgeous. I mean, it's there's no denying it's it's a gorgeous song. It's easy. It's smooth. But 
I think it requires maybe a certain patience. It it does require that. I mean, the thing it's it's cool. You, I have to say, Al, you're one of the fa- my favorite people to listen to music with and talk about because you listen deeply and you have you know you come you come to it with totally open ears and and you acknowledge your your cups of tea and you simultaneously acknowledge the excellence of something even if it's not your cup of tea i think people need to be able to do that um there's lots of stuff that's not my cup of tea that i totally acknowledge as excellent and there's stuff that's totally my cup of tea that like i totally understand why someone might not like it <laughs> like we, you know like I, we tease each other my wife and i calliope like i totally love super tramp you know for example right yeah i think they're awesome the, the, the well-crafted tunes the production the playing the everything about it's i find quite excellent most of it and she can't stand super tramp and i understand why <laughs> well Sometimes explain that, it to me because i i love well Supertramp. i mean uh, well, we're, we we both know we love Supertramp, but right. I'm, she doesn't like that high pitched whining in the voice and the yakety sax and whatever. <laughs> you know, <laughs> that's her prerogative to not like. So whatever, but um, yeah. So I it's it's uh, I think it's another sort of way to listen is that like uh, to just let something be exactly what it is and don't wish for it to be anything else. And then I think that will amplify the enjoyment of anything, right? Yeah, absolutely. It's a point that can't be made often enough. Yeah. And, and the, I, the quandary also, yeah. I'm, I'm sorry, but Nick, the quandary ahead, also is like, compared to like visual art, where let's say you go to a museum, right? We've had these discussions all the time, existentially, with about music and arts and all that. If you go into a museum and you're going to look at visual art, sculpture, painting, what, whatnot, you can stare at it as long as you want, or you can look at it for a couple seconds and move on a piece of music if you're going to commit to listening to it, you are you are beholden to that experience for as long as that piece is right so if you're a beethoven symphony might go 40 minutes you're you're either in it for the long haul or you're not right i mean on a recording you could lift the needle or just press forward or whatever that's old school right but like if you're at a concert you're basically there and it's rude to get up so it's there's a different thing it's like your actual time uh, your your physical space and your time is 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 caught up in the real estate of that experience, right? Yep. So it's a it presents different issues than other art forms. Yeah, no, that's a great point. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I mean, you could yeah, like I said, you can lift the needle, needle, you can walk out, but then you're not really experiencing the whole thing, uh, right? So there's yeah, um, there's no two ways around that. That's right. I, I want to. Uh, Headed to nostalgia now, just because I made a comment there that kind of carries over to Ink in the Well. And there is a pattern here in which uh, I did get into the album more, even on the first listen. Like yeah. I got to side two and even towards the end to side one. And I'm like, okay, I'm starting to get this. I'm starting to like it better. So definitely as the album goes on, uh, I, I got it more and more and liked it more and more. Uh, but with nostalgia there, I wrote still waiting for some dramatic buildup. So that kind of gets back to my issue with ink in the well is that right. I, I get a little impatient with music that uh, the, uh, my, my internal dialogue says this is not going anywhere. <laughs> so, uh-huh. it, you know, it's hard, <laughs> harder for me to listen to something that's just, you know, laying out this beautiful kind of tapestry, you know, right. And okay. nostalgia was Fair enough. kind of in that, that same vein. But uh, I wrote instrumental section starting at two thirty six, 
Reminds me a little of 1980s Peter Gabriel. And then uh, I noticed on one of the related, I think it was just the David Sylvian Wikipedia, or no, it was the Japan Wikipedia page, that David Rhodes, who's Gabriel's guitarist, I think has been for forever uh, as a solo act. uh, David Rhodes was a touring musician with Japan. So oh, maybe cool. <clears throat> maybe David Sylvian influenced Peter Gabriel. Who knows? They were all listening to each other, I'm sure, you know, checking each other out. So that's that makes sense. Um, it's, it's, it's funny, this, this nostalgia, this third tune, it's so, so much about that drone and the spaciousness and whatnot. Um, and it was here I was sort of kind of reminded of like some of that, you know, epic droning of the, the Genesis does with the, some of the devices they do with that, where they're but they're jamming over it. That kind of like they tend to crescendo a little more, and that that's probably something um, you find more satisfying—a little more crescendo to something big, right? Exactly. <laughs> this kind of sits there. I, I I agree, it does, but it's almost like well, so does a flower. It just sits there. You smell it. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I'm, man. To t- yeah, got to stop and smell the flowers. Right, right. But that instrumental section is cool. And and I wrote, yeah. uh, this is a little bit easier of a listen for me. So this is where, for me, the album in this track, Nostalgia, uh, or as he sings it, Nostalgia, uh, starts. Right. it starts to turn. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, cool. Yeah, and then Kenny Wheeler's on that one, too, doing some nice playing. And that always adds some shape to things, you know, for my ears. I, I love that stuff. Very cool. Very cool. So the <laughs> final track on side one is Red Guitar. And this one yep. didn't grab me too much the first or maybe even the second time. It's a total earworm. I, it is it is uh-huh. my favorite yeah, track on the album now. I think it's, I, I could be wrong. I think it is the hit single from the album. I think it reached the teens or something in the UK. I don't know what. It did. What what the, what does that even mean? But um, <laughs> apparently that is the radio hit. If, 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 if anybody knows we're wrong, write in, whatever. But I think that is the radio hit from the album, supposedly. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I love this tune. It's funny. It just, um, like when that, get, that piano vamp kicks in, it's like a Pablo Cruz sort of Michael McDonald tinged doobies vibe you know <laughs> sort of out of the blue just like nothing else on the album does that and um i find it it's it's, it's, it's it grabs me it's pretty cool it's great yeah it's great it's very yeah. catchy and it was and I, I wrote was a hit in the uk it did go up to like i think 17 or something somewhere in the teens like you said but uh, and again, this was my I think after my second listen, I wrote was a hit, but doesn't sound at all like a hit single. But right. after a few right. more listens, I kind of got it. It still is a little odd for a hit single. It's got some weird stuff. There. How about that piano solo toward toward the last third of it? All that high pitched stuff in the upper register, it's all this yep. uh, just sort of obtuse piano stuff. It's it's totally cool. I mean it's the, that's almost like George Crumb. I was playing a lot of a lot of George Crumb's music. A lot of folks might not know who that is. He's an American composer. Wrote some spooky music. Um anyway, so a lot of that is sort of, you know, real you know, modern music stuff. That piano solo. So I found that kind of enjoyable to hear that in a pop 
pop context. Yeah, there's just a lot of stuff in here that's that. Yeah, it doesn't sound like it should be in a pop song, but it, right, it totally, right. it totally works. And yeah, another, that's kind of what I like about it, you know, in a way. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's novel. It's yeah, it's not the same thing that you've heard before. And and I wrote and yep. actually before before I even say that this particular thing here that I wrote, one thing that just seemed to uh, impress me across this album from from start to end was just how it evoked a lot of different uh, genres, different bands. It was yep. it really is for me hard to place in a genre. Uh, there, it's just a, a yeah a blend of different stuff that sometimes for me really worked and other times not as much, but I wrote an unusual blend of new romantic and jazz fusion sounds and something you would think yeah. wouldn't necessarily work. I guess it comes back to the, uh, uh, Spandau Ballet meets, uh, level 42 thing. Right, right, right. And it really works. It really works here. And what, what you mentioned the piano solo. One thing that I thought that was really cool. And I think this is in the beginning. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately. Yeah, no, I wrote, okay, here it is in the first verse. So yeah, in the beginning of the song, uh, since I've, as John, you know, I, I've started taking drum lessons. And so one yes, thing. Yes, it's I'm, awesome. <laughs> it is awesome. I love it. <laughs> and I listen to music totally differently now. And one thing I do a lot of, and I find it difficult still, is trying to find the bass drum. And in some recordings, it's oh, easier yeah. than in others. Trying to find what that bass drum beat is. And so in, in listening for that in this song, in the first verse, there's a part where it sort of blends in with the strumming of the acoustic guitar. And it's sort of hard sure. to know. Which is which, almost. It might get kind of masked by some of the other articulation going on in the in the in the instrumentation. Yeah, yeah. it just yeah, it's just a really neat, really subtle thing um, that I, yeah. I don't think you yeah. can catch if you're not really listening for it. Yeah, interesting, cool. So that's side um, one. Yeah, that's side one, right? Um, turn the record over, Al. What's going on? <laughs> <laughs> All right, so just three tracks on on the uh, second side. Weathered Wall <laughs> uh, is the lead off, uh, and not your typical lead off track. It's um, it's slow. It's kind of edgy. Uh, I, it's just got this really mesmerizing beat, and that's really the whole side yeah. too. I think that's part of what I like about it. it's just got these really cool beats that you can just get yeah. into. Mesmerizing is the word, Al. That is the word. <laughs> uh, let's see. And they, there's a section in the middle, an instrumental section, where there's this distorted vocal. That's just. Right. It's just a right. mood, man. It's just. <laughs> it's kind of haunting uh, with the percussion that's that's going along with it. And I've yeah. got a drummer question for you mm. because in that same section, there's a, what to me sounds like a Tom that's just, that's just tuned really low. I'm not sure if this is a track that he might be hitting a frame drum on. Am okay. I thinking of that? Uh, it's possible that he's doing some frame drumming along with uh, what the drummer is doing. I'm not sure if I'm if I'm so nailing that. What is that frame drumming? Well, frame drum is like it's almost like a big a giant tambourine without jingles, hmm. and it's got like skin on one side. Um, American guy named Glenn Velez has made that very popular in the states, but it's obviously a Middle Eastern uh, origin. That that kind of drumming you usually play with fingers and and and, and thumbs and. Things like that. So I think he's he's grabbing some of that on this track and possibly others on the album. That's all I got for you on that one. 
All right. Yeah, I was going to ask if you had anything else about this track. Uh, and I just like it. It's just it's just yeah, a groove. That's where John Hassel's doing his thing with it. The trumpet sounds like a, from another another galaxy, That his trumpet stuff with all that effects and the processing and the, you know, harmonizing of that trumpet or whatever's going on with that. It's amazing. Just a lot of cool sounds. Like, yes, yeah, so yeah. the trumpet, the percussion. Um yeah, it's really, it's cool. And like you said, every track is different, but this really sets a different tone. And that's why I said it was easy to tell where the album would have been flipped because this is something right. really pretty <laughs> different from anything that was on, on side one. Absolutely. And then the middle track is Backwaters. And I really didn't have much different to stay here because it was just <laughs> another one with another cool beat that I just could really listen to for you know, a long, long time. Uh, it, this was one too, where initially I had a little bit of a hard time finding the beat. And it, yeah, is this, is this <laughs> nine four or I think, you know what? I was walking the dog the other day. I'm like, what the heck meter is this? You know, cause the bass, <laughs> the little synth bass comes in. And then, and then of course all the backbeats are in, in weird spots too. So I'm like, wait, and then the vocal doesn't feel like it's anywhere on the one, but um, I think it's nine eight. If I was to transcribe this, I would write it in nine eight. If anyone dares to care about that, um, but yeah, it's a cool, it's a cool vamp going on, and yeah, it's like it's like three three beats with triplets, sort of slow one, whatever. It's it's cool, but um, yeah, and then later on when that when that vamp is happening in the with a piano sound. And then he adds this sort of out-of-tune piano sound with the bass. Um, it has this sort of gamelan quality to it. Did you pick up on that? Uh, no. It's just a, for a couple of repeats of the vamp. There's that bass oh, well, the, I, the, going the, on. No, what I didn't pick up on was gamelan. Yeah. I, don't, I don't know the reference. It's sort of like a metallic... It's still like metallic... Um, instruments you, you find in indonesia uh percussion okay it's a it's a it's a thing but it's got this really detuned quality it's i'm sure it's some sort of synth or treated piano but it's like deliberately out of tune and it's going against that bass line it just does it like three or four times and that's it it's like this this little little you know clove in the in the potatoes it's pretty cool but, but, <laughs> <laughs> great expression john and yeah. you know you know what it is i didn't even realize it until now because every time i listened to it i was like oh my god that's so cool um that's yeah. the, the that's the thing in the song that that makes you put it back on like that's the that's that thing in the song that you wait for yes 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 because if that's not there i don't like <clears> the <throat> song nearly as much it's probably <laughs> it's amazing like you just, yeah yeah, one one little pinch of parsley or whatever. You know, I hate I always make that meal analogy, but it's hard not to, you know. Um, it's great, man. Music served up, like, thoughtfully, you know. Yeah, no, it's really cool. And, and you're right, it is a little out of tune. And again, I didn't, I didn't put my finger on that quite. It's just something that's got, yeah, just that little bit of dissonance that just makes yeah, it yeah. Uh, just really satisfying really really yeah it's like a little smelling salt you're like oh you hope you're paying attention check it out (laughs) exactly you know (laughs) all right and then it finishes up with brilliant trees uh which is a longer track than the rest i think eight or nine minutes um and another one that's really percussion driven and uh i'll actually start with a a comment about the lyrics because we really haven't talked about that at all oh yeah yeah again you know fairly or not you know, you and I had the same sort of feeling about the 
the vocal melodies yeah. that made it hard to get into yeah. the lyrics. But this one kind of woke me up. Uh, there's a lot. I think it's maybe the third line of the song. He says, is this grip on life still my own? And I think between just the lyric itself and the, the phrasing and how it fits in with everything else that's going on mus- musically, that woke me up. I was like, oh, yeah, he's he's, he's yeah. talking about something to pay attention to here. There's something heavy going on here. I mean, not that I'm like a heavy guy, but there's definitely some poetry here. And um, like I was asking Calliope, who, you know, again, she turned me on to all this stuff. And she remembers like growing up with this. She's a few years younger than us. So this was like real formative listening for her. And, you know, she has a, a real affinity for what's going on here. Kind of like, you know, got her through a lot of stuff. But um, I'm asking her like, so is that, a, is that a love song or is that a, she's like, I don't know. could be, you know, and I was surprised cause she's so into text. She's like, how can you listen to that? Don't you hear what the words are? I'm like, Oh, I don't always care what the words are on a, on a piece of music. I'm just into the music, but she's way into words. You know, she's a poet and writer and language, like language specialist. So, um, you know, we're just sort of talking about, it. it's like, wow, is this, is this a love song to a partner or is it, to a deity, to a spiritual thing. Like it's a lot going on in this song, but I think you kind of listen to it and, and have it apply to yourself. However you might choose perhaps, you know? Yeah. I think it's more the latter. You said a love song to a partner or to a deity. I think it is more the, the, the latter. Um, and there's, there's a line in there about, uh, something about a flower and then returning right. to the soil. So right, right. there's, you know, there's a metaphor here, you know, brilliant trees that refers sure. to, to, to my hearing to humans or to human souls. Uh, right. So yeah, again, I didn't dig into the lyrics even on this one that much, but that, that line really caught my attention and, yeah. um, you know, so probably next on the next listen, <laughs> pay a little bit more awesome. attention to the, the lyrics. Cause there's, there is something very cool going on there. And then musically, yeah. Um, there's a long instrumental section that features uh, different percussion. And again, with the, the headphones, John, they're, yeah, you probably cool, know right? what I'm talking about here, but <laughs> there's chimes and they only come in a couple of times, but they totally pop. Bell tree on there a little bit. And then there's, uh, I think this is definitely one there. I think there's some frame drumming going on some all the hand claps and maybe some bottles i don't know what what is going on in there but um and apparently i think it's it's david himself doing the percussion there hmm. he's credited as playing the most of the percussion on this album so he he has some cool ideas going on and it's i love the space he leaves for the sounds to develop and um it's, it's beautiful it really is it is, yeah, and I'm glad you mentioned about the space because in this track, particularly, I wish there was more of that actually in some of the other tracks where it feels like, I think on side one especially, where it feels a little bit more like a, a stew right. to borrow some right. of your, your food <laughs> metaphors. Speaking uh, of stew, Stuart Nutman, our good friend, I think I talked about this the other day. It's a weird bifurcation to stew, Stuart Nutman. Um, I think he's like, oh, yeah, I think uh, like in college I sent you – he was talking to me. He's like, I think I sent you one of those tunes on a mixtape from college. So I'm like, I didn't remember that. Because <laughs> so, he was aware of this album you know, back in, back in the day. He was aware of it. I didn't, anyway, didn't know so. that. Um, and, and you know, spoiler alert, I'm trying to get Stu on the show here. So, oh, right. Uh, okay. Awesome. Hopefully I get, get him on here soon. Um, okay. But uh, yeah, awesome. him. Uh, well, speak for himself, I guess. Sure, sure. <laughs> when I eventually do get him on, uh, so 
yeah, just a, a lot, a lot of you know, cool sounds, and it's like you said, the, there's just a lot of space there. More on this track, I think, than on any other. Um, really, just a, a great use of of space. So that instrumental section that ends the uh, the track and ends the album is yeah. just just so beautiful and and it's just so fitting as a closer. I mean, there, I don't think there's any doubt here about this as the most appropriate song to, to end things up. It's amazing. Yeah, it really has a great arc to this whole thing. I really think so. Yeah. So if anyone hasn't heard this, I I, I think, you know, if you like what we're talking about, I mean, you might enjoy the album. I, I do. <laughs> yeah, I, I hope so, John, because you yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wanted to talk about it. It's clear, actually. It's clear uh, that, that you really yeah. love this album. And it's it's a it's a great choice. And I'm glad I, I don't know that there's any album I've listened to. Uh, now here on episode six uh, of the six that you know, oh. right off the bat, I'm just like, wow, I, I totally get this. I mean, it's been, it's been a process with, with each of them, but de- definitely was rewarded with this one. Oh, cool. I'm glad and, to hear and, it. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm really, really glad that, you know, we had this, this occasion to do this. And um, like I Wonderful. said, that, especially that side too, uh, it's just, it, it really pays off with the, the close listen. Oh, but, yeah. I want to go back to something you said really early in the discussion here, because you were okay. talking about choosing this album, but you actually were going to choose a different one. And so which one do you actually enjoy more? Which one would you be more uh, likely to just, you know, pop on? I do enjoy this one more. Gone to Earth is wonderful. It's the first thing I ever heard of David Sylvian's, but I do enjoy this album more as a, a, a versatile sort of meal for me. I think Gone to Earth, I, I do recommend checking it out. Um, and I'm certainly inclined to check out anything else in his catalog. I haven't yet, but um, that one has a, it's a little more of, um, I don't want to compare it to Pink Floyd, The Wall, but there's a lot of dark stuff going on in, 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 the, in the, not, I don't know about the lyrics, but the, definitely the, uh, the music is, you really got to commit to this. It's a lot of it's kind of, for lack of a better word, spooky and weird and not that there's anything wrong with that, but you got to really be in the mood for that. <laughs> Yeah, it's cool, I, could, it's cool. I could see that. I could see that for sure. Uh, all right. Yeah. Well, uh, John, um, I'm going to put links in the notes to um, oh, you know, okay. some of your various projects, um, like uh, Tilted Axes. I know you've been you know, doing some some work with that project of late. And um, But where can people uh, find you? I do hope that people can react to our reactions and tell us what they, they think Great. of the album, if they've listened to it or things that we've said about it. So if people want to reach you with those sorts of comments, where should they do it? They should just find me on Facebook. Uh, I get enough email, so I'm on Facebook, just John Ferrari, and you'll find me. I'm the guy with the, you know, I play drums and percussion. (laughs) (laughs) I think you'll find me. (laughs) Look for the cues. Musician, you know, whatever. All right. Well, uh, so that uh, should be easy for folks to do. And you can reach me. The best place uh, to reach me, for better or for worse, is on Twitter. Um, You can reach me at BB. Or, uh, you know, hit me up there and as well as the account for the show, which is at you, me album at you, me album. And uh, also, uh, you're listening to this podcast, I would certainly greatly appreciate it if you subscribe and uh, rate the show wherever you do get your podcast would truly, truly appreciate that. Uh, John Ferrari. Thank you so much for taking the time. Thank you so much for sharing this really cool album with me and uh you know, looking forward to you, doing Al. more of this, uh, maybe even not on the podcast. Yeah, I've, I'm, I'm totally inspired to do some more recreational listening and deep listening. You know, it's, it's such a great thing to be doing. 
All right. Yeah, maybe listen to some Kwong Bin. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, send me a link. I'd love <laughs> I will, to check I will. it out. All right. Awesome. Very cool. Very cool, John. Well, I, again, appreciate it. And uh, appreciate you all who uh, have uh, heard us out and listened to this episode. And one last thing. John will be performing in Centennial Vibes, celebrating the vibraphone invented in 1921. You can stream this event live on March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern. There's information on the Composer's Concordance website, and I'll post a link in the show notes. And uh, I will be back soon with yet another album and another guest. So uh, until then, everybody, be safe and take care.